Welcome to the Healthcare Compliance Pad. My name is Susan Freed. I'm a healthcare attorney and your host. I understand how difficult compliance can be, especially for small providers, where oftentimes the compliance officer wears multiple hats. Every day, I work with compliance professionals, probably a lot like you, who are dealing with increasingly complex issues and oftentimes doing it with less resources. That's why we created this podcast. Each week, I'll share a simple, actionable tip designed to elevate compliance within your organization and hopefully make your job a little bit easier. Whether you're new to compliance or just looking for some new ideas, this podcast was created with you in mind. One of the biggest risk areas for any healthcare provider who participates in government healthcare programs like Medicare or Medicaid is the False Claims Act. This is the federal law which makes it a crime to submit a false claim to the government for payment. It includes claims submitted to these government healthcare programs like Medicare and Medicaid. Violating the False Claims Act comes with really steep penalties. They can charge you three times the amount of the government payment that you received. They can also assess civil monetary penalties of between $13,000 and $27,000 per claim. I'm not just talking about per issue, but per claim. So if you have an issue and you've submitted multiple claims over multiple years, the penalties can be really staggeringly high. In egregious cases, there's also the potential for criminal penalties, as well as individuals and organizations can be excluded from being able to participate in Medicare or Medicaid. The False Claims Act isn't just used for blatant, obvious fraud. It's also used for things like upcoding. So perhaps you're coding at a higher level than what your documentation supports. This is one of the main reasons why it's so important to be very vigilant about billing and coding and why we want to be doing everything that we can do to prevent errors and discover them as soon as possible so we can self-report, repay, and self-correct. What makes the False Claims Act even riskier for providers is that it allows private citizens to bring claims themselves for False Claims Act violations. These are what we refer to as key TAM actions. So key TAM is Q-U-I capital T-A-M. Key TAM is a Latin term that translates into who as well. <laughs> For you history buffs out there, this term is said to have originated back in 13th century England, where people could sue in the name of the king as well as for themselves. So when you hear key TAM, you should think of suing on behalf of. KETAM actions are used today under the False Claims Act to allow private citizens to bring suits on behalf of the government for violations of the False Claims Act. Now, you may be thinking, why would a private person want to sue someone under the False Claims Act to recover money for the federal government? The answer to that is very simple. It's all about money. The law encourages people to bring these actions by offering to pay them a portion of the amount that's recovered for the government. 
So it incentivizes people for filing these KETAM actions because if they're successful or if there's a settlement, the pla- the relator, that's who we call the private citizen bringing these KETAM actions, they get to receive a percentage of that recovery. Now, because the potential damage awards and the, the penalties in these False Claims Act are so high, the amount the private citizen can can get as part of the recovery is also very, very high. So it's not unusual for these False Claims Act to settle for seven, eight figures, right? Sometimes you even see, see nine figure settlements in really um, big cases. So these cases are lucrative, not just to these private citizens, but also to the attorneys who represent them, since oftentimes they are taking the case on a contingency fee type um, arrangement. So there's a whole subspecialty of lawyers that specialize in these types of cases that are actively out there trying to find people who may have information that they can use to file one of these key TAM actions. Because the penalties from a False Claims Act are really significant and because of the potential to have key TAM actions against your organization because they're lucrative for people. Our tip this week is aimed at trying to reduce the likelihood of a key TAM action with at least one group of people, your departing employees. It's probably no surprise that a lot of key TAM actions are brought by former employees of the organization. Many times the former employees in these KETAM actions claim that they reported or tried to report the issue while they were working for the company. Giving departing employees another outlet or way to to report potential compliance issues before they actually leave is one way to try to deter them from filing a KETAM action or consulting with a lawyer. Even better, it helps you learn about the potential compliance issue that you can then hopefully fix and self-report before it gets to the level of a KETAM action or government investigation, because inevitably that's going to be much more costly for you. With departing employees specifically, there's a really easy way to give them an additional reporting opportunity using something that your organization is probably already doing, an exit interview. Chances are, if you've ever voluntarily left employment, you've been asked to sit for an exit interview. Exit interviews are an extremely common tool that is used by human resource officers across all types of industries to help reduce attrition, to get a better understanding of their employees' viewpoint about of the work situation, what they might be able to do better, why they're leaving. It gives them some helpful insight into that. But they can also be really effective tool for your healthcare compliance program. We can use these exit interviews to get similar information about the healthcare compliance program. Our tip this week is to incorporate the compliance officer and compliance related questions into the exit interview process. Before we launch into how to operationalize this tip, I wanna take a minute to share with you why I love this week's tip. The primary goal of this podcast is to make your life easier while elevating compliance within your organization. If there's one thing I hear repeatedly from my clients, it's that they're short on both time 
and resources. This is a great tip because it requires relatively small amount of your time. It costs you little to no money, but it has a big payoff if it's done effectively. The results that you glean from this exit interview can not only help you identify potential compliance issues, but also provide you with important feedback on your compliance programming generally that can help you guide your future efforts. Operationalizing this tip, relatively easy, but to maximize its effectiveness, I want you to keep four simple rules for the exit interview in mind. First, you wanna be prepared. You should enter the interview with a list of prepared questions. There should be a couple of standard questions you ask every employee, such as inviting them to share any compliance concerns they have, as well as asking them to share their perception of the organization's commitment to compliance and compliance programming. But you should also take a few minutes before each exit interview to give some thought to who you're talking to and tailor some questions specifically for them. This can be a time to ask about specific high-risk areas, for example, within the organization that this person may have had exposure or experience with because of their position and their job duties. So be prepared, give some thought to what specific questions you want to ask this particular departing employee. Second, set the expectation for the employee at the beginning of the interview. Make sure they understand what the goal is and what your motivations are for the exit interview. So you don't want to go in there and just start ticking off a list of questions like, did you witness any noncompliance while working here? Some employees are probably going to be hesitant to give you any information or to say anything negative, right? People generally like to leave on good terms. If they're voluntarily departing, they probably are leaving on good terms or want to. So a lot of people are just going to be hesitant to say anything negative. So we really want to explain to them why their candid, honest feedback is going to be critical to the organization's success and the goals for the interview. So really encourage them to give you information, including any negative feedback, by letting them know it's really important. And if they have feedback to give, it's really helpful to us to get it, even if it's hard to hear and that it is negative. Setting that tone and those expectations up front is hopefully going to make the employee feel more comfortable being really candid with you. My third tip is to be conversational. Your exit interview should not just be you checking off a list of questions in a perfunctory manner. Yes, we want you to be prepared. We want you to have a prepared list of questions that you're referring to to start the conversation to make sure um, you're getting the feedback that you want. But you should just use that as a starting point to initiate it. You want to also go where the conversation takes you, just like with any interview process. The exit interview, no different. You want to get a dialogue going. You want it to feel like a conversation. I would use that list of questions to start the interview, refer back to it to make sure you get all your questions asked. Um, but don't lose sight of the fact that as they're talking, you need to be actively listening so we can ask follow-up questions and really get um, helpful information and make this exit interview as effective as possible. 
One way you can help make the interview more conversational is by scheduling it during a coffee or lunch. Just that just automatically sets a more informal conversational tone. Obviously, since sensitive information may be shared with you, we want to do this in a private internal setting. We don't want to go to the local Starbucks um, or go down to the hospital cafeteria to have this conversation. But offering to grab them a cup of coffee or order in lunch to have that dialogue can automatically make put everybody at ease and just make it more conversational in nature. You also don't want to do this um, on the employee's last day. So we would recommend doing it a day or two in advance. If you wait to the last day, the employee is likely going to be rushed. Either they are trying to get a bunch of stuff done or they may have already mentally checked out. Hey, I'm moving on to a new job. I am just going to get out of this exit interview as fast as possible. So maybe think about scheduling this ahead of time uh, before their actual departure date and also give yourself enough time, right? We want to at least have 30 minutes for this interview. You're going to be doing it with HR. And so in addition to the HR questions that they have, we want to make sure that we have time for the employee to have that candid dialogue and conversation with us. Fourth, you absolutely have to follow through after you do this. Once you've done the exit interview, the compliance officer should document the key information gleaned from that interview, including any positive and negative feedback shared. Aggregate that feedback with information that you're getting from other exit interviews so that you have a really good up-to-date summary document of the feedback and the issues identified throughout your the year that you can then utilize in updating your compliance programming and seeing if you need to do training in any additional places to make your compliance program hopefully as effective as possible. Negative feedback is going to be particularly helpful to identify whether you need to make any tweaks, do additional training, change how you're communicating. But positive feedback also really helpful because it gives you a sense of what strategies, what programming is actually working. If a concern is identified during the interview, we want to make sure it's handled in the same manner as any other report of a potential compliance issue would be. We're going to review it to see if there's merit to it, and then we're going to do an investigation if there is. Obviously, the goal is if, if someone does have this compliance concern that they tell us during the exit interview. So if that happens and it comes up, you're going to want to talk to the employee to get information out of them, but then also likely Make sure you have contact information for that departing employee and let them know, hey, I may need to contact you in the future to get more information about this issue. Whatever you do, don't squander this opportunity by filing your notes away and not looking at them again. Exit interviews are only going to be effective if you learn from them and incorporate that feedback into your programming. The last point I want to emphasize is that your HR department is critical to this tip. You want to incorporate compliance into your current exit interview process. So you need to work with HR on this tip. Don't just go off and do these exit interviews on your own when you hear someone's leaving the organization. There's obviously employment related reasons and issues raised by an exit interview. So you want to talk to your HR team and HR experts. That's this week's tip. Make compliance part of your exit interview process. 
inviting departing employees to report any compliance concerns and also share their perspectives is a great way to try to limit your risk of TTAM actions, but also can really give you important insight into the effectiveness of your compliance programming. That wraps this week's episode. Thank you so much for joining me. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast either on our website, thehealthcarecompliancepod.com or wherever you get your podcasts. I'd also love to hear from you. You can connect with me via the website or on social media. Remember, compliance doesn't have to be complicated or costly, but it does have to be consistent. I'll be here next week and I hope you will too.